You're listening to an encore presentation of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Whereas the mentions of upcoming events and seasons may have passed, the insights still apply to helping Catholics grow in their daily life of faith. Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Well, good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's a Monday morning edition of the program. And uh, we're pre-recording this on Friday afternoon, as we typically do. Today, I'm joined by Father Kurt Nagel and Pam Gunderson from the west side of the state of Washington. But I'm sitting here in my little humble studio with Father Jeff Lewis, the pastor of St. Mary in Spokane Valley. Welcome, Father Lewis. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Now, did you notice the enthusiasm, Father Nagel and Pam? Just tremendous enthusiasm. Yes. Words. He can't wait to get started. Yeah. See, we're pretty enthusiastic about Father Lewis, too. Yeah, very enthusiastic. We're so glad you're here. Oh, good. My reputation precedes me. Wonderful. Yes. Well, you can keep Tom in line, too. You're right there with him. <laughs> All right, we're up against uh, our, our first break. We're going to come back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. We're going to get started with the scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. I'd like to begin with uh, a reading from Galatians 2, 19, 20. Through the law I died to the law, that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Insofar as I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and given himself up for me. Heavenly Father, we do ask your blessings upon us through the intercession of St. Padre Pio today that we might truly be servants of the crucified Christ, that we might truly be able to, um, again, live out the grace he gave us and the salvation he won for us. Bless this time and those who listen today, we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Nagel. So we're going to talk a little bit about St. Padre Pio, and just I'd love to hear from the, the three of you about any particular devotion or any way in which St. Padre Pio plays a part in your own spiritual life or in your journey. And then we have a series of 15 quotes, which we'll definitely not get through. Uh, but we'll get through a number of them. Father Lewis, you're going to find out that <laughs> we don't always cover all the content that we have in front of us, but we cover the part that let's trust that God wants us to cover. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, but just to get started, for the folks that are just listening and, and haven't had a chance to get to know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, Father Lewis. Well, as they kind of say um, here and there, I'm, I'm one of those local boys done good. I was born and raised right here in Spokane. I grew up on the north side of well, north of North Spokane in an area called Mead. Um, and I, my home parish growing up was uh, St. Thomas More. I had gone to public school growing up, K through 12. And then after that, went to Washington State University. Go Cougs. For, uh, for all your listeners who are your dub fans, they are, they're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
But uh, I alienated more than half of your audience, I'm sure, just with that one statement. So, well, Lewis, if you want to make a good impression, you really should tread more lightly here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I apologize. But back to, back to the introduction, I guess. So, yeah, I went to um, public school, Mead uh, School District, and then, uh, and then WSU, and um, I, uh, I majored, actually, first in music. I was majoring in music uh, for my first year, music education, and um, I play trumpet. I still, to this day, play trumpet. And, um, and then I thought, well, there's stiff competition in my home area for music education jobs, so I switched jobs to human resource management, because why not, <laughs> I guess. And... Um, Graduated in 2002 with that, and then I was offered a teaching assistantship and went to grad school to get my MBA, and I got that in 2004 with a focus in marketing. Human resource didn't translate so well into priesthood in many ways that I thought it would, and marketing translates very well. In business, we call it marketing. In church speak, we call it evangelization. <laughs> so I, I thought that translated pretty well. And then I entered, well, I, I worked for a year kind of with the uh, Barnes & Noble kind of in this management training program eventually to be a manager of my own store, but thought, oh, this isn't quite fulfilling in my life, and there seems to be something missing and something more that I want to be able to do and, and be. So no offense to Barnes & Noble, but it was just it was just uh, kind of the retail world. Um, and uh, so I thought, well, there seems to be three options left in life. I could join the military. I could take up an epic life of crime. <laughs> or I could join the seminary. Well, I'm much too much a coward for the military, and I'm not coordinated enough to take up a life of crime. So seminary. <laughs> um, I'm only kidding, by the way. I mean, I didn't seriously take up a life of crime or consider it, but I entered seminary, and it was like the Holy Spirit just shoved me right through the door. Like, finally, at last, I found the door that wasn't going to, like, close in my face, but opened even wider and was, you know, bringing me right in. Father Darren Connell was our vocation director at the time and rector of our college seminary here, Bishop White. So he welcomed me and he received me. His first words out of his mouth were, so you finally decided to quit denying the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I think he'd been praying for me and after me for a couple of years. And and finally, my stubborn head decided to yield to God's will through his prayers. And I came to his office. And (laughs) so our friendship began right away on a very good note. (laughs) Um, So went to... College seminary pre-theology at uh, Bishop White and studied philosophy at Gonzaga here in Spokane, and then uh, Bishop Skillstad, our bishop at the time, uh, sent me to Catholic University of America in Washington D.C. for my theology, and I was ordained in May of 2011, May 26, 2011, great day to be ordained on Saint Philip Neri, and my first assignment began on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, 2011, July 1st, at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lords. Father Connell is now made rector there, so I can't seem to escape his grasp. (laughs) And then um, a year after that, now we have Bishop Blaise Supich, now Cardinal Supich, who's our bishop, and he calls me into his office, you know, 10 months after I'm ordained and says, I need you to be pastor. And I started laughing, and you don't laugh at uh, Bishop Supich, so I laughed with him. But um, (laughs) I didn't think he was serious, but he was. We needed a pastor to go up north of Spokane and and take over a cluster of rural parishes centered in a town called Chewila. And so I became pastor of Chewila and two other small parishes in 2012. And then Bishop Daly comes along and now brings me back to Spokane. I was pastor for two years at St. Peter here in Spokane on the South Hill. And then I thought I was going to be there for six years. My assignment letter said six years. Everyone in the world said I would be there for six years. 
And two years later, here I am at St. Mary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bishop Daly has a different concept of math from the rest of us. But <laughs> don't tell him I said that. I'm afraid of him. But <laughs> no, I mean, our situation with vocations is thus that, um, you know, some guys just need to move. But um, I'm happy to be here at St. Mary and um, be of service wherever the bishop needs me and and uh, wherever I can be of service. So, And uh, by happenstance and providence, uh, got to meet Tom Curran here at St. Mary's. He's moving in with U-Hauls and so on. So... That's a longer story maybe than you wanted, but... No, that's tremendous. And <laughs> Father Lewis, there's also a connection to Holy Family in Kirkland, Father Nagel oh. and Pam's parish. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we were talking about that before we began on the air. So when I was in seminary, um, starting when I was at Bishop White, I, um, seminarians are very you know, grac- you know, grateful to receive the financial support from a variety of uh, groups and so on, and the Knights of Columbus are extraordinary in that regard. And this Knights Council from the West Side, I have no connection with the West Side of the state of Washington uh, in terms of you know parish life or anything, but Holy Family in Kirkland sent me a support check of uh, $500 and continued that for each school year. Mm-hmm. And um, very, very grateful for, the, for that gift and that, that prayer support besides. And I sent them thank you notes and everything and always hoped one day I would be able to get there in person and thank the Knights in person. So hopefully me thanking them over the air will be mm-hmm. a good... Uh, kind of consolation prize for that (laughs) but it's a wonderful support from you know 300 miles away from an unexpected source and you know just one of many instances how god provides unexpectedly when one needs it i think amen yeah i think that's very beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah i just love that and so father nagel is that something that uh the knights there intentionally do uh, they do their vocation support is definitely one of their um great motivators so uh I, I don't remember um, Father Lewis's name per se, but I do know that they, they help somebody from our di- archdiocese, and they always want to help somebody that's not associated with us. So they, they try to reach out that way. So they're very generous, as you said. Yeah. I just love that, the way that God's grace is at work, right? And these yeah. hidden connections that all of a sudden just get unveiled. And, and just this is like a little one. It, right? it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. But there are all kinds of hidden ones that heaven will reveal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that actually beautifully, I think, links into today's saint. Today, the, as we celebrate the feast of St. Padre Pio, eventually that's just going to become St. Pio, Yeah. right? But uh, I still would say St. Padre Pio. And I feel, my sense is this, is that when I think about like what we will be held accountable for, part of what we're going to be held accountable for is, uh, is related to the saints that were alive when we were. And so for me, growing up, it was St. Padre Pio, and then now we would have to add to that St. Teresa, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta and St. John Paul II and other saints that are definitely you know, marked as signs that spoke to our time. Mm-hmm. And what I would love to hear, fathers, Father Nagel and Father Louis Pam, is this particular saint, St. Padre Pio, did, did you in your own life of faith, your own journey of faith, or even journey into the priesthood, have any sense of devotion or connection to St. Padre Pio, Father Nagel? I, I, first, I, I, I begin by just saying, I'm not sure we're ever going to drop the Padre. Um, I think it's always going to be St. Padre Pio, just like it's going to be Mother Teresa uh, and Don Bosco. I think there's some people that, that the title just kind of sticks with them. I could be wrong, but um, I, I think that that's, that might be the way it goes. Anyway, um, I, did, I, I had seen in uh, growing up and in the seminary 
there's lots of devotions to Padre Pio, uh, even little advertisements about you know some booklets or rosaries or whatever. I, I knew the name, I knew the face, I understood, but I had no real devotion whatsoever to him um, until it was actually after I was ordained. I took a trip to Italy uh, to visit a priest friend, a classmate of mine who was studying in Rome at the time, and we took we got a car and we went down to San Giovanni Rotondo, uh, down in the sort of the heel of the Italian boot where, and this was the, the friary where Padre Pio spent most of his uh, priesthood there. And I had the pleasure, and I, I remember the, we spent, an, we, spent an, we spent two days, one night, two days and one night there, and I had the pleasure of celebrating Mass at his tomb uh, at that time, his, his sarcophagus. It's, I think it's been moved since. I don't know if it's, uh, this would have been 2001 or two. And so I had the opportunity to celebrate Mass there, but also to tour the actual friary and, and the chapel and, and go up into the, the balcony where you know, he, he had that experience with the uh, crucifix up in the choir loft of that chapel. And just to be actually in that very site was, was deeply moving. And so I, I had, after that, I did start to read up about him. And I mean, I just read a book uh, that was... Um, published very, very recently about the, the quote-unquote secret files in the, in the uh, Vatican archives that had just been released about his trial. He was put on, when I say trial, there was an investigation. There, an inquisitor was sent down there in the 1920s to find out what was really going on. There was, you know, he was under a cloud for a long time. And so they had to find out and to be able to read the original notes of those interviews with all his, all his uh, fr- brother friars in his own interview and, and the what the, uh, the the bishop sent down to investigate thought. I thought it was really quite fascinating. Anyway, so I do have uh, a much more uh, closer relation to him now as a priest than I ever did before. That's really powerful. I love that. I love the way that God can unfold in different time, right? The, mm-hmm. the timing of when a devotion can mature. How about you, Father Lewis? Well, similarly, I I, nev- I don't even think I've heard of him in, until I got to a uh, theology seminary and then... Um, I think it was my um, third year in theology. We had, um, our, and amongst our newest crop of uh, new seminarians who joined us that year, was one who'd eventually become my my best friend in the seminary. Now my best, uh, well, my best friend, and he's a priest for Washington D.C. Now, Father Stephen Weibel, and he has a profound and a beautiful devotion to Padre Pio. So he kind of introduced him to me and um, and recommended a book to read. And um, I still have the book. I don't remember the title, but um, I got to learn more similarly about his trials and so on. And what struck me so uh, powerfully about him is maybe he's most famous for, you know, being a reader of souls and and hearing tons and tons of confessions. And then, of course, the stigmata. But when he's being investigated that um, that he was told to, you know, keep a lid on it. And and he did in holy obedience to his superiors. He did. Um, despite maybe the injustices that he perceived or whatever that, you know, it's not of his making. He did nothing wrong, but he's told to pipe down, and so he did. And and um, that's a, a role model for me right there that, um, you know, we we tell folks, you know, isn't it, you know, as priests, you know, telling folks who kind of wonder at the lifestyle that we are called to live, you know, wow, celibacy, that must be really hard. And I said, that sometimes is the easiest of the three promises. Mm-hmm. The toughest one most frequently is obedience, not just, okay, kick our dirt, you know, feet in the dirt and say, yes, sir, right away, sir, but to kind of have a joyful obedience and an immediate obedience to the will of our superior. And 
and uh, so many of our saints, you know, the surest path to, to sainthood, if you're, if you're in a, under the authority of another, a, the lawful authority is, is obedience. And if it's wrong, then they're the ones called to task. You're not. And, and anyway, so this idea of being, being just obedient and, um, and faithfully so is one thing that is, still inspires me about uh, Padre Pio. And, and um, I look up to him for that and rely on his prayers when I need to be obedient myself. You know, what strikes me about that time when he was essentially pulled from the public eye and had to remain cloistered and celebrated Mass alone, it was when he was in his early 30s. And that's the time, I think, when many priests would say, okay, I I have a level of maturity. I still have energy. Now's the time when I can bear the most fruit for God. Mm -hmm. And it was precisely in that moment that he was withdrawn from his opportunity to do that. And that is what really strikes me about um, how like profound his obedience was, how yeah. complete it was. Right. If he were called to be that obedient and he's in his 70s, I, I'd be like, I'm tired anyway. You got it. <laughs> yeah. But you're right in his 30s. Like, boy, if I were called to something like that and here I am in my 30s, I'd, I, it would be tough. It mm-hmm. would be really, really tough. Yeah. Yes. How about you, Pam? No, I don't think I knew about Padre Pio at all till I was <clears throat> all grown up. And the thing that stuck in my mind the most is the whole idea of bilocation, which has often sounded like it'd be really handy. But um, I wouldn't say that he's part of my go-to saints group. Oh, I love Padre Pio. Uh, he is definitely part of my go-to saints. Uh, just two quick connections with Padre Pio. The first is when I had my awakening of faith, he was one of the first saints I discovered. And maybe it was because of the supernatural mystical phenomena but that whole idea of reading hearts and confession the, and then the union with Christ manifested in the stigmata, these things were definitely moving to me and, and like prompted in me a, a kind of fervor to live for the Lord. But um, where I had this deep sense of relying on Padre Pio was when Carrie and I, in the first several years of our marriage, we weren't able to conceive. And so one of the saints I turned to was St. Padre Pio. And after we had conceived and lost our first child to a miscarriage, when Carrie got pregnant again, Padre Pio was um, still at this point a servant of God. He wasn't yet blessed or a saint. But um, when Carrie discovered that she was pregnant, we said, Padre Pio, would you please pray for this child? Pray for our baby. Pray for this pregnancy. And um, we said, look, we just, we just entrust this pregnancy to your intercession. Well, within a couple of weeks, Pope, uh, at that time, Pope John Paul II announced the fact that uh, Padre Pio was going to be beatified. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get identified with a date. Mm-hmm. And the date that he was identified as his uh, potential feast, like when he would be beatified, was the, the, which was September 23rd, was Kerry's due date. So that was just so meaningful to us. But all I can say is, is our daughter, Mary Grace, is very, very grateful that she wasn't born on the 23rd. (laughs) She was born on the 28th, because if she was born on the 23rd, her name would have been Pia. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, and then here's one other little anecdote. Uh, Along the way in my course of church ministry life, I've been privileged to get to know certain... um, uh, folks who have mystical phenomena associated with their lives, including a stigmatist, but also a woman who had extraordinary um, graces to uh, to pray for healing. And her name was Sister Alfred. 
And one of the things that I learned about Sister Alfred was that she was a recipient of one of Padre Pio's bilocations. Mm. Oh, oh, really? Wow. Isn't that it just kind of <laughs> get, it made me like like shiver, like in yeah. awe, right? And uh, it wasn't something that she talked about much, but I had the privilege of getting to know her a bit. And so the, the fact that he had come and visited her because she had experienced so much uh, demonic attacks against her because of the ministry that the Lord had put into her hands. She was a religious sister, Sister Alfred. And um, and so this was one of the, the graces that Padre Pio had come and visited her. So there's just another little anecdotal connection yeah. to Padre Pio. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Top that, Father Nagel. Come on Can't now. Can't do it. Can't <laughs> do it. I surrender. I didn't receive the bilocation. All right. All right. We're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to dive into some of these wonderful quotes taken from the writings of St. Padre Pio. Please stay tuned. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm joined today by Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis, and Pam Gunderson. And today we are honoring St. Padre Pio on his feast day. And we have a a series of quotes here drawn from his writings. And um, Pam is going to read the first quote, and then Father Nagel will start, then Father Lewis will come in, and then we'll continue a conversation. Pam, let's get started. Jesus is with you even when you don't feel his presence. He is never so close to you as he is during your spiritual battles. He is always there, close to you, encouraging you to fight your battle courageously. He is there to ward off the enemy's blows so that you may not be hurt. When I think of that, I just uh, reading that uh, passage, I'd, we've just been talking about with the, Padre Pio has always been associated, at least in my mind, with the extraordinary, uh, all the, the visible and the, the, um, the miraculous and the hair-raising sort of situations. And, and it, as any good saint does, he says he's he's going to talk to you about when you don't when you don't feel Jesus' presence, and I think that again from my reading, my understanding, Padre Pio, he he recognized that, that there was this sort of uh, extraordinary aspect to his ministry and to his life, but he he definitely wanted to point away from that, saying you know this is not the, the extraordinary uh, uh, is not what's uh, what it's all about. It's it's the the dryness and the the the, um, the fidelity in that. And in the midst of that suffering and the sin and absence of God, that He's never closer to you. So I, I do think that's something. It's always good for all of us to remember that we we oftentimes are looking for um, something's very tangible, extraordinary proof, um, consolations, all this sort of. It's always good to have a, a reminder that you know the the real growth's made when the the, the spiritual battles at the at the worst and the and the, the hottest. Father Lewis. Well, something that Father Nagel said toward the end there, that maybe it's in the period when we don't feel Christ present with us that, yeah, we're experiencing some kind of growth. Um, An analogy that comes to mind is, you know, your football coach is going to be giving you extra attention when you need to be 
working on this maneuver or whatever it is. Now imagine if that football player said, well, the, the coach has abandoned me. I don't feel the coach's presence. He's not here working with me. He's over there working with those guys. They must be his favorites and so on. Well, maybe, but more likely it's you got it now. Now he's going to go to the guy who needs his help now. And you got a chance now to kind of work with what he just trained you in to grow in that and make it second nature and second habit. Then he comes back to you with the, with the next thing you need to grow in. You know, Jesus will be with us in our lives when we need it in a way that we can perceive and readily uh, experience. And and um, and then when we don't feel that, maybe that's a time of uh, we perceive to be separation, but what the Lord perceives is kind of like, you know, it's like when we're learning to ride a bicycle for the first time without training wheels. There's Dad ready to help me along, and he's pushing and holding on to the back of the seat. All of a sudden he lets go. It's time for me to give it a try on my own. And, oh, no, Dad's abandoned me. No, he's... He's trying to see if you can do it on your own. That's what's going on there. And, and you know, maybe Jesus is kind of like, you know, kind of like doing that to see, you know, okay, you know, here he goes. He's taking the leap of faith, but he's always there ready to receive us, even if we don't receive it. You know, in confession, hearing confessions, a lot of folks perceive a uh, separation from the Lord and and they'll just agonize, I must be doing something wrong. I don't feel the Lord's presence. And, and it's it's not the it's not the case. You know, it's the Lord is always there. We just don't always feel it. Well, and to build off of that, he talks about this. Uh, he's never so close to you, close to you as you, as you are during your spiritual battles, and he would know, right? Mm-hmm. So he underwent how many spiritual battles, but he says something that was striking to me, which was that he's there close to you, encouraging you to fight your battle courageously. So, Father Luce, you talked about that, you know that Father lets go of the bike, and then you've got to pedal, and you've actually got to do the the riding, and so the writing and it's like the lord expects us to fight but he's also there to ward off the blows and so i i i like the fact that we should expect battles we should expect that we need to fight and that's going to require some courage but he's also with us and when we don't sense his presence when and, and that i think can happen especially when we're in the midst of battles that it's hard to remember that you know what God in his mercy is actually warding off blows that you're not even aware of. He's holding you, he's holding you in reserve from a level of intensity, a level of, of battle that you don't even know would, is, that is actually raging around you, that he's protecting you from. I just think that that's so profound and important to remember. Yeah. I noticed, too, that this quote is from August of 1914, so it would have been the beginning of World War I, and so people's ears would have been attuned to battle speak like this. So uh, probably he was reaching a, a wider audience than normally he would. Well, and isn't it the case that one of the things that would happen to him is especially during, um, during the Triduum, um, and even I think it was even sometimes just during Holy Week, he would actually experience a physical beating. He would actually in, in, experience a physical Bat, a physical dimension to the battles that he was fighting against the devil. That, that's what I remember in my own reading. So even though he's saying this about you may not be hurt, there are some who even actually have that level of like intense um, union with Christ in fighting the spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. All right, let's continue on. And uh, why don't we read quotes two and three? Did you like how I did that, Father Nagel? Kind of making, we can get to yeah, it once. Yeah, it's cheating, <laughs> but that's the, this is what happens, Father Lewis. <laughs> it's, it's better than starting it's with pretty the last pathetic one at the like end. we they, did last time. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, Ending the, the rules already. <laughs> <laughs> the storms that are raging around you will turn out to be for God's glory, your own merit, 
and the good of many souls. Every sacrifice which your soul makes, every good it does, is directed to God for the sanctification of all. Father Lewis, why don't you share first? So it's hard for us to see how the sufferings we are made to suffer or the sacrifices we are made to make or the storms in life. How could that possibly be for God's glory or for the good of many souls? And um, it makes me think of, I think of this often, there's a story, and I think it's accurate, of well, soon to be beatified Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He was going through New York. He passes by um, a hospital, and he sighs, and he says, so much wasted suffering. The idea being that the sufferings that we are made to suffer, you know, here in this life might seem as so pointless. And that's the world's wisdom. You've got to avoid suffering and maximize pleasure and so on. Whereas in the view of God, that's as so much gold bullion. Yeah. And um, and how valuable it is if we know how to make capital of it. And it's that trite phrase offered up. But if we understood the magnitude of what is packed in those three words then maybe we could bear our suffering with greater grace and be able to offer it as some sort of prayer uh, for others. I had um, I had a, a back surgery four years, uh, five years ago now, and um, the uh, slit disc, slightly bulging disc, they said. I don't know anything slightly that could cause that kind of pain, and that's a story <laughs> for another time. But But I was incapacitated, and I was being helped, helpless, and I was being helped by people whom I'm supposed to serve, and I was like, you know, basically crying out to God, why is this happening to me? And instantly, like, you know, flooding into my head and heart are reminders of, remember what your hero Fulton Sheen said, so much wasted suffering. Oh, yes, sir, right away, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's where obedience comes in. But yeah, so just to lie there helplessly, but to make it into some kind of prayer offered as a sacrifice for those who may not suffer enough, and maybe it's something for the salvation of their souls. How about you, Father Nagel? You know, I, I had a conversation with uh, one of my staff who is a convert to, to Catholicism uh, from evangelical Protestantism. And, and this whole idea of, the, of being able to take suffering and offer it as prayer for the good of others, it's, it's a very Catholic thing that we assume. Now, you know, it might be that some of our listeners don't assume that, they don't, they don't get it, or they haven't heard of it before, but it's a very Catholic understanding of, of the way God works and the, and the universe works. But it's, very, it's, it's not the, the, the way that uh, many Protestant Christians understand it. They don't, they don't get the whole, that whole idea of, of suffering for the sanctification of others and that to be able to turn that suffering into, again, to connect your suffering to the suffering and, and redeeming cross of Christ and therefore to be able to let your suffering participate in his and have it redemptive and powerful in that way. It is something that some Christians, I remember, uh, I, I, it struck me when he told this story about this, this young woman who had come to our parish the other day and was in a spiritually suffering situation. He said, but she wasn't Catholic. She was she was coming from a Protestant experience, and and she couldn't. That was not a tool in the toolkit that he could use. That, that was and, you know. And then he finally took her to a priest, and and still it wasn't it wasn't something that they could they could talk to her about because it wasn't in her mindset. And it it was my experience in a CPE clinical pastoral ed- education in, in my. Uh, seminary years. Uh, I, I also was the lone Catholic among a half dozen almost uh, Protestant seminarians. And, and, I, and I brought this up in one of my uh, verbatims, these, these kind of ex- experiences, a description of experiences with patients that, that the seminarians write and then share with others. And 
again, they just they they were kind of repulsed by the whole idea, and and so again, I just felt like, well, this is we're coming from two different places here, and and two different understandings, and I and I think about that in terms of these two, both these two quotes talks about they both talk about the storms and the sacrifices that can be used for others, and and not to to minimize that, and if this is not part of your spirituality, I would say. <laughs> You know, we're all in storms. Uh, that's that has to be part of the the way in which you treat and, and deal with it, because it's what God wants you to do with it, as Fulton Sheen said. So I like in this in this second quote here, he lays out three different elements, right? God's glory, your own merit, and the good of many souls. And I, I'm going to propose this, and I'd like your reflections on it, fathers and Pam, that when I'm talking to men and I'm trying to draw men into a greater faith commitment, I begin in the other direction, that what will draw men into the greatest sense of sort of brave, courageous action is the good of many souls, especially their spouse and their children. That if I said, you know, undertake this devotion or take this hill, right, some kind of significant sacrifice, the idea that do it for God's glory is really not going to move them first, or even do it for your own merit because this is going to benefit you in heaven and you'll advance, that's really not going to move them first. But if it's like, if you do this, your children will be spiritually protected, provided for, and you will be providing spiritual leadership in your home. They're like, show me the hill, I will take it. Mm -hmm. And so it's as if they, there's something about a man that when a man is being fully the godly man that he's called to be, it's the pouring himself out sacrificially for others. And then after that, oh, by the way, God will reward you. And oh, by the way, this will glorify God as well. That, so that's my own experience. But I'd love to hear Father Lewis, what, does, does that confirm? Or how would you kind of respond to that? And Father Nagel and Pam? I think that's spot on. I think that... Um... You know, it's uh, it's inherent, I think, to just what it means to you know to be man, to be uh, you know the masculine soul. That you know, we're the we're givers, and we want to give right down to our very lives, and and we need a cause. And men also tend to be kind of just more, what you know, practical for lack of a better word, I guess. But you know, visual learners, like you know, so I can see it, I can grasp it, I can I can I can understand the. Uh, I can see the hill and I know what I have to do to take it, you know, for the glory of God can be ethereal for what am I going to get out of it? No, no, no. You know, that, that sounds a little too selfish and I want to be selfless and give to others. Ah, so it's for the sanctification of others, starting with your families. Now they're like you say, give me a gun, forget the gun. Give me that stick. I'm going to take that hill. You know, <laughs> they're ready now. Yeah. Now, Pam, did you notice Father Lewis's first words were, Tom, I completely agree with you? <laughs> did you see the wisdom that he's displaying? Very early on. It didn't take him long, right? So, you'll, learn, I swear. You, you'll eventually learn better, Father Lewis. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Father Nagel. I think when you talk, again, um, when you talk about male spirituality, man, I think the, the God's glory, again, you're talking about people, these aren't, these aren't saints yet. These are, it would be a typical guy in the pew. Um, the God's glory is too abstract. Uh, that doesn't mean a whole lot, I don't think, uh, because he, he probably doesn't have a relationship with him very much. Um, your own merit, that 
you know, he can be approached with self-interest, but the truth of the matter is the sin or whatever of not taking the hill is also, he's fighting against the, the worldly benefits that it seemed like they're, they're already for his own merit. You're, you're just trying to weigh which one's better. Um, you know, which choice do I take here? That if you're trying to say, what's for my own good? It might be that for the last 15, 20 years, he's been choosing this other sin as being as for his own good. That in terms of your own merit, um, that's the problem, is that I, have trouble, I have trouble really identifying my merit uh, or what's, what's good for me. I have trouble with that. In fact, I've been choosing some bad things, but they seem pretty good in some ways. Whereas I, think, I do think many men, uh, they, there is a natural protectiveness. And it's not just a protectiveness, it's an active defensiveness uh, for. I think you know, men and women are both going to be protective of their child, but an active defend, defender um, in the sense of, uh, again, uh, even taking initiative and going against, seeing an enemy, I think that this is a, a motivator for guys. And so I do think that would be a wise way here this time. I'm agreeing with you. I think that's a wise, a wise approach in terms of motivating because I do think that many men do feel the vulnerability of their own self in terms of their spiritual weakness, but they feel vulnerability of their children and wife, not just in, from sin, but from all the other forces ranged against them in the world and trying to protect them and having a difficult time doing that even these days. And so I do think that's something that really speaks to them saying, yeah, they, I do need to protect my family. Amen. Pam, what about you? Well, I don't have a male spirituality. I think the, the second quote though where it talks he talks about every sacrifice which your soul makes is for the sanctification of all is much more in keeping with what a woman how a woman thinks or how this woman thinks the whole idea that the ache that you feel in your heart for your children um, and for your spouse and the kind of the silent and invisible sacrifice that happens is not it's not uh, fruitless it's for the sanctification of all, and I think, um, I think mothers and women in general um, experience that a lot, and maybe don't ever put a name to it, or don't even realize that that's what's going on. But I, I'm grateful that he put it in words like that, and also that you paired those two quotes together because I see them as sort of the a male approach and a female approach. You know, Pam, just real quickly, uh, I want to confirm that that's the kind of thing I hear from Carrie. So when we, you know, discerned and, and made this move, um, Carrie was praying and just saying, Lord, what does this mean for us? And the sense she got back in her own prayer was, well, for me, it's going to mean suffering. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know what? This isn't going to stop me. I am not going to be afraid of this or avoid this or not do this just because it's going to mean suffering. But I'm not going in with my eyes closed to the to the reality that that's what's going to mean. But she's doing it for her family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that very much is is a confirmed uh, sense of what I experienced with Carrie. Father so. Lewis, did you notice how Tom said, "Pam, I'd like to confirm what you said." <laughs> <laughs> it's never happened before. <laughs> is that as close as he'll get to saying, "You're right, Pam"? Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you see how I kind of backed it up with Carrie? You see? Yeah, that's okay. Pam, that's I just I confirmed that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're up against a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue on. And we're going to go from the, the sublimity of these things to something that was very close to the heart of Padre Pio. And that was angels, quote number eight. So when we come back, we're going to dig into that quote here on Sound Insight. Please stay tuned. 
Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Pam Gunderson, Father Kurt Nagel, and Father Jeff Lewis as we reflect on St. Padre Pio and some of his writings. And one of the things that was uh, close, literally and spiritually, to Padre Pio was his relationship to angels. And so, Pam, why don't you read that first quote? And we're back to Father Nagel sharing first. We have close to us an angelic spirit who never leaves us for an instant, from the cradle to the grave, who guides and protects us like a friend or a brother. And maybe this is the the upside, so to speak, of Padre Pio's extraordinary uh, spiritual experiences and gifts that he does make the angels um, in that whole world, the unseen world of the supernatural and the uh, God and the angels, uh, brings it to our attention. I do think that they're not not by all, but I do think there's been kind of a falling away from the whole idea of guardian angels uh, and and the idea of, of praying for and to your guardian angel and, and stressing that in terms of spirituality. I, um, I Again, I don't think it's always been lost. I don't think in, uh, in all sectors, but I do think there's been a, it is certainly the last half century or so, kind of a, a uh, desacralizing of the world, disenchantment, as might be called. And, and Padre Pio <clears throat> certainly is someone who his very life and his experiences argue against the, the disenchantment of the world. And, and so he, he speaks with authority on that world, the unseen world that's very real, and as he would say, more present than anything else that's always there. Uh, there's another world that we're part of, and, or maybe it's better to say we only see part of the world. And the, the, this other whole uh, element of, of what's actually happening in our lives is really present. And he, and, and to get to know him and his story, perhaps do, does help to enchant our world uh, in our own personal lives and the way in which we look at it. Amen. Father Lewis. Well, I noticed the date on, you know, when he says this quote, 1915, it wouldn't be many years later when Archbishop Fulton Sheen would have an entire episode of his television show be devoted to angels. And still, like, of his shows that are presented on YouTube has the most views and is most talked about. And there's this movement among some of the great, you know, spiritualists and, and um, you know, uh, leaders of our faith uh, in the 20th century that has, has emphasized you know, not some pie-in-the-sky fantasy of the spiritual world, but for what the spiritual world really is about and how that interacts with our physical world as the world itself continues to go the other way into a more of a materialist um, idea of, of, you know, the material world is all there is, and so take what you can get and go. It's interesting, you know, we're start, maybe we're starting to see, like, this this battle. You've got communism on the rise you have um you know on the one hand you got fascism on the rise you have world war ii that erupted you got these very you know you know materialistic worldviews that are in competition and now what is the response the response is hold on here this is not the end of the story this is not the limit of our of our reality there's a spiritual world and for more importantly you know we got to be attentive to that because this is our destiny this is the destiny of our souls god is calling us to something greater than what this world offers and what mess we're making it and so it's interesting you see these these emphases come out uh you know kind of in tandem at just the right time in this time of the 20th century and and now i wonder if it's starting to go the other way where we got new age and everything else like you know there's a spirit animal and every tree and tree and leaf and whatever else and and so you know hold on here and you know it's a, we're a both and church, you know, it seems like we keep vacillating back and forth, but in response to an anticipation of what the world may do next, I suppose, but Jesus is human and divine. So if they're going to emphasize Jesus wasn't human, we're going to emphasize, yes, he was and vice versa. 
So, you know, it's kind of this pendulum swing back and forth. But, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting just seeing when he's talking about the angelic spirit and who never leaves us and uh, uh, kind of as a reminder to us, given the context of what's going on in the world at the time, it's it's good timing, um, you know, to say the least. Well, and, you know, uh, you may know the story or remember it, that Padre Pio, when he talks about this idea that there's a guardian angel or an angelic spirit near us all the time, he saw his guardian angel. He saw guardian angels. Mm-hmm. And he thought everybody did. And so when, there's a story, I think he was about 10 years old, and there was a little boy that had become lost in the village, and and they couldn't find him. And so Padre Pio, at that time, little you know, uh, said, well, why don't we just ask his guardian angel where he is to show us? And they're like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, you don't see your guardian angel? <laughs> so he asked the guardian angel of that little boy, show me where he is, and they took him to the boy, and he found the little boy. So uh, I haven't done that in a while. I have to admit, <laughs> Father Lewis, I, I need you to know that. that I, but um, he, he had that level of faith, because faith is sight. And so he had that level of faith insight to be able to sense and see his guardian angel. He also had a, like a devotion to them um, because uh, he had more than one guardian angel. There's, there's a story that he had two or three guardian mm-hmm. angels because he would bilocate or even potentially trilocate. And so he needed many guardian angels. And so there's, I don't know, this can get kind of, it sounds hokey that he would chastise his guardian angels for not being there in one of the places where he had bilocated to or in the place where he was in prayer when it happened because he was vulnerable or exposed. I don't know if you've heard those stories. but I heard those wow. stories, no. Yeah, pretty striking. Yeah. So, uh, But what it led me to was the, the reality that in the dispensation of God's plan, he gives us the freedom to invite that level of leadership protection and provision that those guardian angels could have in our lives. He leaves it to us to invite that level of provision, protection, and leadership. And so just recently, like I don't know, in the last year, I have been very intentional about giving the guardian angel of my life and of our family permission to lead, provide, and protect to the fullness of what it is they would want to exercise in accord with God's plan for our lives. And it, I, I tell you, I really do believe it has helped. I really have sensed that. So I don't know, fathers, does that make any sense to you? Yeah. You know, if I would be more deliberate myself and just, you know, engage in a, in an out loud conversation with, you know, my angel or, or my favorite saints, I think of St. Teresa of Avila who fell off the horse famously and said, if this is, you know, says to God, if this is how you treat your friends, then why do you have so few? <laughs> well, what if I had that kind of like free spirited kind of, um, you know, relationality with God and, and my spirit and with my favorite saints, you know, and my spirit, my, my angel. Yeah, I think that would enhance my life and enrich it in incredible ways. I need to start that noon. <laughs> <laughs> See the blessings that yeah. come from being on the program, Father Lewis? You're right, Tom. Oh, I said it again. <laughs> Father Nathan. You're going to do just fine, Father Lewis. <laughs> uh, you're, you're catching on. So, uh, you know, I... I I do have a, a, a devotion to my guardian angel, but I think it's kind of I think it's, I think it's weak. I think it could be it could be strengthened. Certainly, I do know that, for instance, the uh, the founder of Opus Dei, uh, Saint Jose Maria, he he always was emphasizing the the guardian angel of everybody that you meet, uh, whether you could see it or not. You, by faith, you could see it, and and that idea I think uh, is a 
is a wonderful one. I, 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 again, I think it's something I could strengthen as well. I don't ever start a day without praying to my guardian angel. And um, oftentimes I'll ask my angel to go and speak to somebody else's angel who is either somebody I have to go talk to that day about something difficult or just somebody who I know needs extra help and might not be asking their guardian angel for it. And also at the end of the day when it's time for an examination of conscience, I try to look at what I've done through the eyes of my guardian angel. Where, when have I made him flinch and wince during the day? Make him work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Worn him out. I mean, my people talk to, need to talk to your people, so my, my right, guardian angel. Exactly. My guardian angel is going to get in touch with your guardian angel and see if we can make, make something work here. That's how, we, that's how we do our book club dates. <laughs> that's awesome. A last comment. One of the fruits for me is um, a realization of how big my guardian angel is. I think sometimes the pictures of guardian angels can be kind of soft or like not very threatening. Angels in ver- general, Tom, don't you think? Angels yeah. in general, they look so effeminate and wimpy. I'm sorry, but that yeah. is not probably what angels look like. That is not the growing fear. sense. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. They, you experience them like mountains, right? Yeah. They, there's that sense of falling because God is so alive in them, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. I interrupted. I have something to say, but go ahead. No, please, Father. Um, I was just reading recently, this, I think it was a week ago. I don't know if you know another uh, priest who's on media a lot, uh, Father Dwight Longnecker, I think. Mm-hmm. He, oh, sure. And he shared the story of seeing his guardian angel um, one night. And he, his, his point was this guy was tall and big and, and was standing at the, the foot of his, his bed um, that gave him great peace. But he, he was stressing sort of the, just the size and dominance of this figure that he saw. It wasn't, wasn't scary in the sense of like it was a demonic force, but it was, it was simply, this was something that was big and strong. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. He yeah, didn't, I don't want no baby for a guardian angel. Yeah. I don't want a cherub. You know, like a linebacker. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, like uh, The Rock, right? It's like you're playing like tag team wrestling, and we leave our guardian angel just outside the ring. And it's like, tag, get him in on this, and, and, and you're going to win. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we have time for one more quote, and we're going to put Father Lewis on the spot. Father Lewis, all these quotes that are here, you're going to pick a quote to end our program with. Uh, We'll do that in just a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis, and Pam Gunderson today. And uh, trial by fire, Father Lewis. I gave you enough time now to come up with a quote. See how I just did that? So, Father, what quote are we going to end our program with? Well, one that I've been looking at, you know, the list of quotes in front of me that my eye keeps coming back to is number 11. When we suffer, Jesus is closer to us. And I know we are... Sorry, Pam, I took your role. I'm not sure how this works. (laughs) You did it really well. Oh, good. Um, I know we already talked about suffering, but, I mean, it is so important to... I don't think it can be overspoken enough that just we were talking earlier about how, you know, we we ha- we Catholics have the mindset of how valuable suffering is and it's it becomes like it's an entire, entirely different worldview when we try to talk to our non-Catholic brethren of of any stripe and maybe a point of um contact that we can have with our non-Catholic brethren is um okay, you may not see the value of suffering, but try to see this when you're suffering you know, Christ suffered too. And look at the agony on the cross of, you know, there's this whole movement out there, the prosperity gospel that, you know, you know, the, the more you are loved by God, the greater life will be. And I don't think that's it at all. You know, 
Jesus didn't give himself that life. Jesus put himself on the cross for the salvation of the world. What kind of suffering, you know, that had to have been. And we may not get value out of suffering, but when we suffer, Jesus is closer to us. Why? Because we're closer to Jesus. If we can just see that, have the eyes of faith to see that and appreciate that. Um, it, for me, like I mentioned my back surgery earlier, when that, you know, finally got through my thick skull that, hey, you know, offer it up like you keep preaching in your homilies. How about you live it for once? Okay, I guess I can. And and um, maybe it doesn't make the suffering easier, and maybe I still can't see how it's valuable for others and for their salvation, but it does give me a sense of peace that, Christ, you suffered too, and you suffered for me. If this is what you're asking for me right now, it, it, feel, it feels like it's the least I could do for you. That's beautiful. Father Nigley, do you want to comment on that? I would just say everything you say is true, Father, but it is, is very much exactly the opposite of what most of us experience. And I think it's always good to remember that if the suffering drives God away, oftentimes, it's, we, we, naturally speaking, suffering is hard to pray when we suffer. When we really are suffering, how many times I say, you know, when I'm really sick, I hope somebody else is praying for me because right now I, I just have trouble praying and, and it doesn't seem like God's necessarily all that close. And so, again, the idea of what the reality is is necessarily what our emotions are or what our feelings are and things like this. But I do think that this is a really bad example in some ways because it seems completely the opposite because it's kind of this evil versus good. But just as <laughs> this may not work, but sharks are attracted to blood in the water. I think Jesus is attracted to blood in the sense of suffering. That when he when suffering is present, he is the one who suffered for us. He's attracted to that. He's drawn to it in the sense that there's this connection between this this self identification, uh, Jesus with the the suffering brother or sister that he saved. And so I I think that's something for for our faith to hold on to, even when our feelings say I I don't see it. Well, and, and the two of your reflections together, fathers, it, it makes me like want to kind of like clarify here in my own mind. And I think we need to hear it. What Padre Pio said is when we suffer, Jesus is closer to us. Not he might be, but when we suffer, Jesus is closer to us. He didn't say when we suffer, we are closer to Jesus because we might be. And Father, you talked about how in your instance, you had a mature attitude of faith, that your suffering was something that you were able to draw into your relationship with the Lord. But Father Nagel, your point was, when we suffer, we suffer badly, and we don't feel closer to Jesus too often. And so I think that this is such a beautiful point to like write down, put it on our walls. Are you suffering? Jesus is closer to you. Are you suffering? Uh, use it as an opportunity to get closer to him because you know what it doesn't have to happen there's that whole wasted suffering again so all right pam last comment from you uh we just have about 20 seconds left in the program i'm just going to ask my guardian angel to help me realize that jesus is closer to me when i'm suffering so that i don't reject the opportunity next time Amen. That's a beautiful point to close on. Uh, well, thank you, Father Lewis, Father Nagel, and Pam for joining me today on Sound Insight. And uh, we are so very grateful that you are with us. So thanks so much for listening. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.